Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis and I are both uh, boneless beings uh, who need to transcribe our skeletons onto a piece of paper. Happy Halloween. It's spooky month. Ooh, spooky month. Exactly. So we're doing a challenge. Each week we sit down. Our goal is to write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, we read the story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you listeners. Mm-hmm. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A doof, a media, doof media production. production. I d- forgot to think of a thing for like the what we are thing, so I just I just yeah. um I got I had I got my bones yanked this week. Mm. Um, oh yeah, you're a mouth bone. Yeah, I got four mouth bones uh, out of my mouth. I have four gaping wounds in my mouth right now. They're still soft. Um, and I still Ugh. have some disintegrating string that they use to to stitch it up. It's organic. It 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 disintegrates on its own, which has been okay. really interesting because I had I've been having noodles a lot because a friend of mine turned me on to Indomie noodles, which are great. That's my plug mm, for the those week. Are delicious. They really are. Oof. I'm getting a, a I, I we. I received it like a week ago and we're already out between me and my brother <laughs> eating literally two a day each. So, wow. <laughs> um, y'all are, y'all are hitting they're the, really the good. pretty hard. Now, the, only, yeah. the only problem is that the, the, so the sauce packages, it has three sauce packages, all right? And you get to pick mm-hmm. which ones you want to use, which is really, it's fancy. Um, but the problem is, is that like you can't open them without getting some on your fingers every single time. So yeah. it's just, it's very messy. Anyway, um... What was I saying? Oh, yeah, noodles. So I've been eating these soft noodles because, you know, I have holes in my mouth. I can have hard foods. And I eat the noodles. Mm-hmm. And then I can't tell if the noodly thing in the back of my mouth is that string that's supposed to be there or if or it's, if a, it's noodle. a noodle. And that's a yeah. problem because, you know, if it's a noodle, I want to take it out. I want to yank it out and, or, like, swallow it because mm-hmm. that's that that's going to get gross. It's going to get bacteria. But if it's a string, yeah. if I yank, yank on my stitching string, it's not going to be good for my mouth. Yeah, you're just gonna just gonna I'm rip, gonna a, rip hole a new hole in, your mouth. in my mouth. So that's Which, I mean that mm-hmm. that honestly isn't that bad. I mean because if you think about it, um, you could modify your mouth and like open up all of those holes and then put something else that that can act as as teeth like metal or something. That's a good idea. You know, someone yeah. should do that. That's mm-hmm. I would like that. Um, I mean, like. I think that's what they do when you uh, get a grill, right? They just take out one of your teeth and they put <laughs> and they in put in ones. headlights. <laughs> headlights. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was thinking about. So they told me during, right before the operation, which I don't remember by the mm-hmm. way. I just remember them putting something in my IV, and then like three seconds afterwards, and then I just wake up after. It wasn't like oh, so they like put you out for? Oh yeah, I was out. I have no idea what happened in between. They could have they could have roasted me. They could have stolen my money. <laughs> And they, then replaced it your with identical kidney, yeah. amount of money because I I was not missing any money afterwards. But they could have done that. Okay. They could have they t- they could have taken out a small loan, uh, for about oh. an hour. Um, <laughs> a small loan in your name in my name for about an hour. And then uh, so they told me before they were like, okay, well, there's a one percent chance your jaw becomes paralyzed afterwards. And I was like, oh, oh that's that's too bad. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> And they were Why like, didn't they tell you that before? Oh, th- oh, they did. Uh, and I was like, yeah, go for it, babes. And um, they they were like, okay, well, just to make sure that doesn't happen, if we like, so we're gonna break up your lower teeth. We're gonna we're gonna chop them up. So that they did that. I have now crushed. I have the I have my teeth now, by the way, in a little baggie. Oh, so you have like yeah. teeth dust? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, some crushed up tooth. Anyway, which is Ooh. I don't like thinking about that. So we're gonna we're gonna go past that. But uh, they were like, okay, so we're gonna break it up. But if like the bottom part, if like the root of one of them just like gets stuck down there, we're just we're just gonna leave it. <laughs> and and they had there's, me sign a waiver. Yeah, they they had me sign a waiver that they were like, if it gets stuck down there, we're not gonna take it out. We're just gonna leave it because then it. It, it, by taking it out it would risk you know damaging this one nerve that goes down there and really up that one percent chance to a lot more of paralyzing your lower jaw so mm. um we're just yeah just just keep in mind there may be a little bit of tooth left down inside of your gum just if we mess up and i well, was that's like that's fun. cool i didn't ask if they did that so okay <laughs> Oh, so, well, well, like, do you think it is required for them to tell you this? Oh, yeah. Or, okay. I mean, here's the thing about every rule. If if they're telling you about it, it means it's happened before, so. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's happened to someone. Yeah. And then uh, someone where, was upset about where, it. Where they let, yeah. And they were like, no, or like, I wanted to hold that, that piece, the root of my tooth. I needed it for a spell. And then they sued, or, and they uh, won. Or, like, uh, they, like... Or, or like they like left one down there, or tried to uh, take it out, and then that's when someone's jaw got got fucking yeah. paralyzed. Yeah. And then they're like, "Oh, maybe we should just leave some pieces in there because we don't know how to like fix nerves. Yeah. We're only dentists." Yeah. What? So what? What if? So what if you were you're trying to take out someone's wisdom tooth, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so you cut like around it, right? So you can get some wiggle room. And then when you reach for it, though, you accidentally nudge it a little bit deeper. And then, and then you reach for it again, and it just keeps getting deeper, and it's, like, really hard to reach at this point, and then it just, like, tucks out of reach, and you can't even see it. It's just, like, inside, and you can't... Ugh. It just, like, drops down a hole inside their mouth. Wouldn't I mean, that be embarrassing? Te- I mean, well, also, technically, that is still fixing That the is problem, true. That's right? true. It wouldn't be protruding so, anymore. But you just so lost the tooth inside a... of the hole. A tactic to keep all of your teeth, but only like shift them to where it doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah. So, um, so inside the baggie they gave me, they gave me two whole teeth. Those are the upper, my upper wisdom teeth. There's two whole teeth nice. there, and then the bottom ones they broke up, right? But so, so it's it's like two slices of tooth, and then some other some other bits. But really, it looks like it's just like if you combine all the pieces, it looks like it would only add up to one more tooth. So I'm not really huh. sure what happened there. Maybe they just maybe they left like four tooth nubs. Maybe they lost in your mouth one of my. Just never told maybe you. I swallowed it. Oh, that is very possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Which, what happened. So, what, so okay, if you if you swallow a tooth, will it pass through like whole, or will your body break it down? Well, I think you would get like a like a three hundred percent daily uh, calcium value. <laughs> Yeah, so it's fucking calcium. But other than that, oh yeah, so it uh, so like once you eat it, it just morphs in to the uh, closest yeah, bone. The ancients, basically. the ancients used to eat their baby teeth. It just like like the mother would eat it, mm. just like a placenta. Oh, okay. <laughs> do you think humans used to eat placentas? Because like I know a lot of animals do that. Most but do you think definitely. do you think humans were like wait now nah, that's gross though. That's that's gross. That no, came out, I, you know. I I feel that there was once a very hungry mother. Well, okay, well, yeah, just, after really hungry. Birth, but like, and then she ate and said, "Oh my god, this tastes exactly like chicken." Told everyone, 
And uh, then it was it was just a thing, you know. Because I mean, what else are you gonna use it for? Well, that's that's the thing, though. But that's like, free food. but like, if you're doing fine, okay. If you're doing like more or less okay, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you don't have to eat your scab, right? It's just kind of like if you if it like you're feeling peckish, and it, I mean they didn't have chips back then, so that's what they ate instead, right? Yeah, scab chips. Yeah, scabs. And, oh my god, that gives me the grossest idea of, like, someone in the village just being, like, a dedicated scab person, and everyone just, like, oh, has so little like, chips. And... <laughs> so they're, like, yeah. covered in uh, scabs. Yeah, just as a, like, a dispense. Yeah, yeah that's, off. like, kind of their thing. I'm sorry, this is this <laughs> is the grossest scab. episode of Do the Right Thing we've ever had. Well, hey, it is uh, on par with what this this month is. It's it, it's October. It's spooky month. Spooky month. Boneless Hollows month. Eve. It's also uh, uh, national. It's com- it's coming out day. So I'm gonna come out oh, really? as a as first as just a disgusting pervert. Number one. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is that is the most necessary thing. It's a disgusting fucking pervert. Yeah, which secondarily, uh, which is about stating the same thing. I will, I will uh, come out as officially bisexual and confused. Woo! Um, so that that I'm I'm certain about that I am I'm gender confused. That's my gender. Uh, <laughs> confused with with a question mark at the end. Yeah. So other than that, though, nothing settled, and uh, that's what I've uh, that's I'm I'm planting my flag right here. And it's just a bunch of questions. It's hey, you, so you know that random texture flag that like from, um, from like Super Mario Bros. It's like the it's like the the block with the question mark, and you, you when you hit it, you get a coin yes. or something. And it's like yeah. used as a random texture and a bunch of other things, right? Like I'm pretty sure yeah. I'm pretty sure the um the the dildos on uh, Black uh Bad Dragon they they use that texture when you want a random texture actually. Oh really? Yeah, they do. <laughs> so if you want a random like color texture thing, you 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 hit the random block one. So that's that's what my flag. It's the bisexual colors and then that. Okay. Hmm. So it's the bisexual colors and then a it's random and textured uh, black dragon dildo plastered across the right. Whole thing. And then and then the Jolly Roger minus wisdom teeth. <laughs> Jolly Roger. <laughs> Well, you know what? I would love to order three of those flags, personally. They're on their way. I. Uh, <laughs> How much are they? Okay. But what's the pricing for for my flags? Yeah, for your flag. Um, your um, your 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 straight man card. My straight man card. Yeah. Ugh. I I turned them into Dang. into guitar picks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we see how it how it works is that typically you can only hold one card at a given ta- time, mm-hmm. and I still have my uh, black card. Ah, I see. Um, so you can't and, you can't be a straight man card. You can only yeah, be black and, card. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I see. Which is fine. I mean, uh, if if we're talking about like power levels, I think. Oh yeah. A, no yeah. Having For a sure. black card is definitely sure. more. Hey, powerful. so so hey, I'm just um I I'm not fully caught up on the on the legalistics of this. So is is the black card like a kind of race card or is the race card an entirely different like or or is playing the race card just like the name of the move and not necessarily the name of like the card itself. So it's so it's kind of like a skill tree. Okay. Right? <laughs> uh <laughs> The the um, black card just basically unlocks the ability to use the 
race card. And then, you know, once you do pull the, like, a race card, it, like, takes up a, a certain amount of, like, black mana to, like, uh, pull it off. Um, but, you know, that's, like, very far down the, like, fucking skill tree. Right. Like, like that's well, that's the very last one that you get. Right. Um, which I haven't really upgraded that that much. I'm uh, currently pulling to uh, gather my points so that um, I can maybe one day get a, a straight mail card. But, you know, I don't really know if I need it. Right I, 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 I mean, say you don't. I say you don't. Yeah. I mean, if I mean, also, you do, if you need also, it, if you want to flag, I, but other than that, oh, you don't. Yeah. Also, I don't even know if I qualify for that card yeah i think i think honestly you don't which is why you just should hand it over as soon as you got it and just convert that real quick to a more interesting card with a little bit more um interplay and um co- combos available so oh combos yeah straight man oh, you see, card does not have many combos we see you know what that is that is the one downside about the black card is that it has no combos but what? every mood is but every move is super strong dude like like Every move is a one-hit KO, uh-huh. but it's really hard to chain them together because uh, there's just so much energy that like, goes into every move. That's right. Know? Yeah. So, I don't yeah. Know. Mm. So, enough about identity politics. Let's get into <laughs> 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 let's get into this week's episode of, of Do the Right Thing. It's 15 minutes in. Uh, sure. Let's, so, let's go. So, this week... All of the stories we are going to be reading are going to be about myth. Uh, last week, we uh, produced this um, little challenge to where uh, the people that that are going to be writing in uh, basically take any sort of myth and then add their own little spin on it. So uh, we are really looking forward to reading those, those stories. Mm-hmm. And the words for this week are rotten, barrel, tick, and mouse. That's right. Um which was interesting to see uh, people's combinations. Um, but so the actual topic of this week that we'll be talking about is. Uh-huh. Is. First person. That's what we're focusing on this week. Thank you for, for that, Jarvis, for, for pulling, for whipping <laughs> that one out. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to read a story. We're going to read um, Luck by Mark Twain. And uh, we'll be talking about a little bit more about that perspective, which actually I think I almost want to modify what the topic was, because more specifically, this is more of a um, first person minor character. I think that's more specifically what's happening here. Yeah, definitely. Be because um, for those who haven't read the um, short story, this short story does a lot of speculation of a different of a more important character. Um, so basically the, the whole plot is that there are these well, two I mean, we're going to read, the, we're going to read the story oh. the second Jarvis. Yeah. So I should shut up. Yeah, we could, uh, let's just, let's just roll into it. So here yeah, is luck by Mark Twain. Cool. Luck by Mark Twain. Note, this is not a fancy sketch. I got it from a clergyman who was an instructor at Woolwich 40 years ago, and who vouched for its truth. M.T. It was at a banquet in London, in honor of one of the two or three conspicuously illustrious illustrious English military names of this generation. For reasons which will presently appear, I will withhold his real name and titles, and call him Lieutenant General Lord Arthur Scoresby, V.C. K.C.B. 
etc., etc., etc. What fascination there is in a renowned name! There sat the man, in actual flesh, whom I had heard of so many thousands of times that day, thirty years before, when his name shot suddenly to the zenith from a Crimean battlefield to remain forever celebrated. It was food and drink to me to look and look and look at that demigod, scanning, searching, noting the quietness, the reserve, the noble gravity of his countenance, the simple honesty that expressed himself that expressed itself all over him, the sweet unconsciousness of his greatness, unconsciousness of the hundreds of admiring eyes fastened upon him, unconsciousness of the deep, loving, sincere worship welling out of the breasts of those people flowing toward him. The clergyman at my left was an old acquaintance of mine, a clergyman now, but had spent the first half of his life in the camp and field, and as an instructor in the military school at Woolwich. Just at the moment I had been I have been talking about, a veiled and singular light glimmered in his eyes, and he leaned down and muttered confidentially to me, indicating the hero of the banquet with a gesture, saying, Privately, he's an absolute fool. The verdict was a great surprise to me. If its subject had been Napoleon, or Socrates, or Solomon, my astonishment could not have been greater. Two things I was well aware of, that the reverend was a man of strict veracity, and that his judgment of men was good. Therefore I knew, beyond doubt or question, that the world was mistaken about this hero. He was a fool. So I meant to find out, at a convenient moment, how the reverend, all solitary and alone, had discovered the secret. Some days later the opportunity came, and this is what the reverend told me. About forty years ago I was an instructor in the military academy at Woolwich. I was present in one of the sections when young Scoresby underwent his preliminary examination. I was touched to the quick with pity, for the rest of the class answered up brightly and handsomely, while he, why, dear me, he didn't know anything, so to speak. He was evidently good and sweet and lovable and guileless, and so it was exceedingly painful to see him stand there, as serene as a graven image, and deliver himself of answers which were veritably miraculous for stupidity and ignorance. All the compassion in me was aroused on his behalf. I said to myself, when he comes to be examined again, he will be flung over, of course, so it will be simply a harmless act of charity to ease his fall as much as I can. I took him aside, and found that he knew a little of Caesar's history, and as he didn't know anything else, I went to work and drilled him like a galley slave on a certain line of stock questions concerning Caesar, which I knew would be used. If you believe me, he went through with the flying colors on examination day. He went through on that purely superficial cram, and got compliments too, while others, who knew a thousand times more than he, got plucked. By some strangely lucky accident, an accident not likely to happen twice in a century, he was asked no question outside of the narrow limits of his drill. It was stupefying. Well, all through his course I stood by him, with something of the sentiment with a mother feels for a crippled child, and he always saved himself, just by miracle, apparently. Now, of course, the thing that would expose him and kill him at last was mathematics. I resolved to make his death as easy as I could, so I drilled him and crammed him and crammed him and drilled him just on the line of questions which the examiners would be most likely to use, and then launching him on his fate. Well, sir, try to conceive of the result. To my consternation, he took first prize, and with it he got a perfect ovation in the way of compliments. Sleep? There was no more sleep for me for a week. My conscience tortured me day and night. What I had done I had done purely through charity, and only to ease the poor youth's fall. 
I had never dreamed of any preposterous result as the thing that had, had happened. I felt as guilty and miserable as the creator of Frankenstein. There was a wooden head, whom I had put in the way of glittering promotions and prodigious responsibilities, and but one thing could happen. He and his responsibilities would all go to ruin together at the first opportunity. The Crimean War had just broken out. Of course there had to be a war. I said to myself, we couldn't have had peace and give this donkey a chance to die before he is found out. I waited for the earthquake. It came, and made me real when it did come. He was actually gazetted to a captaincy in a marching regiment. Better men grow old and grey in the service before they climb to a sublimity like that. And who could ever had had foreseen that they would go and put such a load of responsibility on such green and inadequate shoulders? I could have just barely stood it if they had made him a cornet, but a captain? Think of it! I thought my hair would turn white. Consider what I did. I, who so loved repose and inaction, I said to myself, I am responsible to the country for this, and I must go along with him and protect the country against him as far as I can. So I took my poor little cap capital that I had saved up through years of work and grinding economy, and went with a sigh and bought a cornetcy in his regiment, and away we went to the field. And there, oh dear, it was awful. Blunders? Well, he never did anything but blunder. You see, nobody was in the fellow's secret. Everybody had him focused wrong, and necessarily misinterpreted his performance every time. Consequently, they took his idiotic blunders for inspirations of genius. They did, honestly. His mildest blunders were enough to make a man in his right mind cry, and they did make me cry, and rage and rave too, privately. And the thing that always kept me in a sweat of apprehension was the fact that every fresh blunder he made increased the luster of his reputation. I kept saying to myself, he'll get so high that when discovery does finally come, it will be like the sun falling out of the sky. He went right along up, from grade to grade, over the dead bodies of his superiors, until at last, in the hottest moment of the battle, down went our colonel, and my heart jumped into my mouth, for Scoresby was next in rank. Now for it, I said I. Now for it, said I. We'll all land in shield in ten minutes, I'm sure. The battle was awfully hot. The allies were steadily giving way all over the field. Our regiment occupied a position that was vital. A blunder now must be destruction. At this crucial moment, what does this immortal fool do but detach the regiment from its place and order a charge over a neighboring hill where there wasn't a suggestion of an enemy? There you go, I said to myself. This is the end at last. And away we did go, and over the shoulder of the hill before the insane moment could be discovered and stopped. And what did we find? An entire and unsuspecting Russian army in reserve. And what happened? We were eaten up? That is necessarily would have happened in 99 cases out of 100, but no, those Russians argued that no single regiment would come browsing around there at such a time, it must be the entire English army, and that the sly Russian game was detective and detected and blocked. So they turned tail, and away they went, pell-mell over the hill and down into the field in wild confusion, and we went after them. They themselves broke the solid Russian center in the field and tore through, and in no time there was a most tremendous rout you ever saw and the defeat of the Allies was turned into a, into a sweeping and splendid victory. Marshal Canrobert looked on, dizzy with astonishment, admiration, and delight, and sent right off for Scoresby, and hugged him, decorated him on the field, in presence of all the armies. And what was Scoresby's blunder that time? Merely the mistaking his right hand for his left, that was all. An order had come back to him to fall back and support our right, but instead he fell forward and went over the hill to the left. 
but the name he won that day as a marvelous military genius filled the world with his glory, and that glory will never fade while history books last. He is just as good and sweet and lovable and unpretending as a man can be, but he doesn't know enough to come in when it rains. Now that is absolutely true. He is the supremest ass in the universe, and until half an hour ago, nobody knew it but himself and me. He has been pursued day by day and year by year by a most phenomenal and astonishing luckiness. He has been a shining soldier in all our wars for a generation. He has littered his whole military life with blunders, and yet has never committed one that didn't make him a knight or a baronet or a lord or something. Look at his breast. Why? He is just as clothed in domestic and foreign decorations. Well, sir, every one of them is the record of some shouting stupidity or another, and taken together, they are proof that the very best thing in all this world that can befall a man is to be born lucky. I say again, as I said at the banquet, Scoresby's an absolute fool. Well, all right, that was a fantastic uh, reading of the story. Thank you for Matias. submitting your story, uh, Mark Twain. We really appreciate it. Uh, taking yeah, interest you. in our podcast, um, we'll be yeah, we'll, we'll we're we're hoping to hear back from you soon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I re- I I personally really like this this story only because of how it is constructed. I mean, for for the majority of of the story, the plot is being told solely through dialogue of the uh clergyman who has a very close connection to what was his name strawsbury uh scoresby um, yeah scoresby uh and apparently this uh clergyman was a person who taught him back in school uh and what i really like is how obvious it it is to every party that is really within this story that this man is not a very smart man but the only way that he is going through is is not only because of luck but because people are taking pity on him Mm -hmm. like uh he wouldn't have passed those those tests if the uh if the clergyman didn't cramp like didn't force him to cram for the tests but even still, the clergyman is so surprised that he is able to actually pass pass through this this test, and then even go to the uh, army to where everyone that is above him dies, mm-hmm. <laughs> making him captain. Like, uh, I just really like how how many um, coincidences follows this this man's life, which I mean, yeah. that that really does like ring true. To the point of uh, the uh, story, I think it was like one of one of the very last lines to where um, the the best thing that can happen to a man is to be born lucky. Yeah, which is very true. Yeah. So I I find this story so interesting, and I'm just wondering mm-hmm. like, so so the thing is that this seems, especially at this point, a very non-original like cliche of just like someone failing upward like that's that's the entire point of the story right and so Mm -hmm. i mean i haven't read much twain but it's like uh so so this is kind of a a surprise to me to go back and read something by this iconic author right this as somewhat you know it's famous enough of a short story to be on this list of short stories that we that we're picking from right yeah and yet it's so like it, it just does not feel extremely unique, right? Like like so many other stories that we would read in the twentieth century, right? Like this is yeah. not the those hills look like white elephants, you know? Yeah, it, or it, it, and, and I mean, really, it's it's strange because 
Well, sorry to cut you off, but like when I read it, it didn't even remind me of Twain. Mm-hmm. You know, be, be, because because I've read plenty of uh, stuff by Twain, and I think the the only uh, the only uh, connection that that uh, that I could find would just be in the cadence of how sure. it is written. But beyond that, yeah, it does feel very samey. It feels like something that it, it uh, feels that, like that I could be. Yeah, it it feels like a story that someone could just like just just tell you like it's a it's a almost funny joke kind of, but not really yeah. at the same time. It's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, and also it's 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 almost kind of tragic and I mean after reading it I do see where the where the where the commentary is about how like uh people that are fit for a certain thing just just might not go through because of some sort of unknown force. Right. And uh, and that you shouldn't they... give people like too much pity because then they can just like fail upward. But then they exactly, get it turned yeah. out okay. That's the part that I'm confused about. Is that like yeah, was it, it a good thing? It turned or out not? perfect. I mean, they were at a party in his honor. Right. <laughs> right. So it so it went very very well for him. Honestly, I think the funniest part for uh, for me is when uh, the uh, where Scoresby basically points right towards a den of a Russians that he didn't know right. was was there whatsoever, and then that won the like whole war f- for them. But uh the thing that like gets me is that the reason why he pointed right was because he mixed up his his left hand for his right hand right be because the orders were were to go left and then fall back and i don't know that that just shows you how much dumb luck this 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 character does have yeah um, it's yeah. it's just like I, i'm just trying to figure out is is the intention of the story to say Hey, maybe being stupid and just lucky is actually like good f- in general. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like if if this man wasn't a dumbass, they wouldn't have won. At least not in this this manner, right? Yeah. So Be- because because if he was a smarter man, he would have followed orders, right? Um, what which again, he his intentions seem to be following to to follow orders. But his stu, but his stupid, his stupidity, gained them victory. So yeah, honestly, I think the the only thing that might confuse me about this this story is the purpose. What is the message at the end? Because there are because there are so many different things that are that are at play. I mean, is is the message that you shouldn't get. Uh, that you shouldn't look at people with pity because they could just fail, fail, fail upwards. Or is it that some people are just predetermined for a better destiny and like nothing can really stop them? Or is it that just the system of our, of our military is like flawed to where people like this can rise up to right. certain ranks. Yeah. yeah. So there's just so many different things at at play that really you can get something different from this story within each reading. Sure. Yeah. Um, so to talk a little bit about the, the, the first person narration, I did find it mm-hmm. really interesting. That this is something you see a lot in older stories about how this 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 sort of nest, nested um, perspective, right? Where So this is like... 
the 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 first perspective in the first paragraph is actually Mark Twain, right? It's Mark Twain yeah. saying, "I heard the story. I'm going to change up the names, but this is totally a true story. I def- definitely didn't make this up." And then he's <laughs> like, "I was at a party, and then I was talking to this guy, uh, the Reverend, and then the Reverend said this, and then that's the rest of the story, right?" Mm-hmm. And then the Reverend is talking about the is talking about Scoresby. So it's this interesting framing. Yeah, I mean, there is a, I mean, there is a distance in the narrative because you are getting this this story from this reverend's account through Mark Twain about someone else. Yeah, and what's yeah. interesting is that like we don't return back to we we don't we don't fall out of that nested narrative at the end. Mm-hmm. We we just finish off with the. Uh, reverend saying that, that stuff about luck, right? Yeah, which I find very interesting. But yeah, they did this a lot. I read the uh, the Castle of Toronto in my yes, my freshman year, and in that one, it so that's like the first gothic story, proper gothic story. Mm-hmm. And in that one, it also has the framing narrative of like, oh, this is actually all of this. This is a a, a series of of accounts of what happened at this one castle during this one year. This is totally true. We found this. This is archaeology right here. This is a true story. And a giant <laughs> helmet me, fell out please. of the sky. Yeah, etc. And um, and there's other stuff like that. Like, uh, if you read Daniel Defoe's um, Robinson Crusoe or Mole Flanders, it's the same thing. In the very beginning, we're like, this is a real story by real people. It's like they didn't, they hadn't invented fiction or something. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. Which is Which is really weird. But I mean... I think because it is told in this way, that's what makes it effective. Be- because it because it feels like as a reader that you are being clued into the secret that no one else knows besides two people, uh, and it and it definitely creates a certain closeness between you and the story, to where. To where you are finding some, to, to where you are finding something out about a character that the character their themselves doesn't doesn't even know. So I don't know. I just feel that that kind of makes this this story special in a certain sense. Also, something that I found kind of strange uh, within the text itself is that uh, when the uh, when the clergyman is speaking, there are no quotation marks. Mm-hmm. So at first, I was a bit con confused of like okay where is this coming from um but then you know as you continue to to read it uh mark twain does make it pretty obvious just uh through the diction by itself that this is coming from a from a character Mm -hmm. so i mean really within that 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 first moment uh that is when the story definitely switches gears also also it, it also it picks up because uh, looking at the looking at the beginning uh, versus the bulk of the story, um, the bulk of of the story is is uh, much more is the bulk of the story is quicker paced mm-hmm. uh, to where you know you were going from moment to moment to moment, whereas whereas in the beginning it did spend a lot of time of uh, just setting the uh, scene, telling you who yeah. is all at this party telling you how you should look at each character and mm-hmm. each person that is at this this party which you know 
that is what you need to do in the beginning to get the desired effect. Uh, but I do feel that as soon as as we got into the story proper, that is when it really picked up. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, so I, I think that's one place where these perspectives really come into play and start coloring things. But in a more modern writing, I think that if if you gave the story to a modern editor, I think a modern editor would ask you to cut basically the entire basically everything up to the very first moment where the reverend starts talking or just have yeah, the reverend definitely. start talking and no framing conversation because I mean it's so it's like I we, we talked at the party and then a couple days later we talked again and then he told me this yeah and it's exactly. so where where in a more modernist um you know cutting out all the all the fat as possible mm-hmm. you would just start in the narrative and you would just have the dramatic irony of knowing of, of just like seeing this character fall upward without having the like already showing the ending of he's going to be very successful right yeah. we would keep that dramatic irony rather than reveal it at the very beginning so that's mm-hmm. I, just an interesting difference uh, go, going back a bit so the thing that i wanted to say about um framing framing narrative and how uh, you find these in a lot in old stories about how it's like, oh, I'm going to tell you a story. This is a, a true story or something I heard recently or whatever. It's mm-hmm. really interesting because it's it's like it's it's this older form that seems to come up very often in in new forms of media, right? Because like novels were in in short stories like these were a new creation at one point. Where mm-hmm. I mean, it's like obviously short stories have always existed, but short stories printed in newspapers right through this medium or novels written as like fictional books that are not romances were um were a new thing at one point where uh so so they often had this these framing narratives where like even before like epics existed and epics didn't really well i mean the epics also sort of had framing narratives in just the fact that like someone is telling you the story yeah, right i mean just like in the uh, moment i mean like in a lot of older works, as you said, framing was a lot more mm-hmm. important because, you know, as you said, it was, it was, at that time, it was a foreign concept. It was something that a lot of people weren't really used to, so that basically a given audience had to be slowly inducted mm-hmm. into this story versus now to where it is a very known thing that there were works of fiction. Right, to right. Where to where you could just hop in you can you can throw them in the middle of action and then us now would be able to piece to together what did happen yeah it's it's fascinating how how that's just gone away and now we can Mm -hmm. read any story and we just buy into it immediately and i think it's so if you want to look at a modern example this is something i've been thinking about is audio narratives actually podcasts Mm, right where uh, on one hand we have audiobooks which take advantage of of that buy-in right but if you're doing an audio podcast you it's very often people feel like we need this framing narrative of like hey why are we hearing people's voices right who who is speaking and 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 why and what's picking it up why is there a microphone here etc when that's totally superfluous you don't actually need that at all you can just have someone talk to a a character talk to the reader and it doesn't matter where the microphone is or why it's there Mm. Well, um, I mean, th- well, I mean, then again, you know that that is that whole buy-in to a new form of media. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe if 
narrative podcasting does get bigger, give or take 30, 50 years, well, maybe they, that they, there's some now. won't be necessary. There's some now, but the, but yeah, I, my, my point is basically that like there is often, like if you're thinking of, of doing an audio podcast, um, <clears throat> a narrative, you might initially think that you need one. But th- there are some already that don't have it. Here's here's an example. Although they're not like strict like writing narratives, they're both imp- improvisational podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. But um, welcome to the Magic Tavern, right? Or just yes. the Magic Tavern Good. might be. So that's a great improv podcast that has a framing narrative. It's Arnie Niekamp has a microphone and he's interviewing people in this magical land of Foon, right? That's that's this whole thing. And then there's a new another improvisational podcast that's also very good. Um, uh, Mission to Zix, right? Which is mm-hmm. uh, also improvisational. But that one doesn't have a framing narrative. It's just, okay, here's these characters talking and we're going to follow them around and they're going to say funny stuff, right? And that's, yeah. there's no reason why this needs to be recorded. And so I think that's an interesting like evolution of of this, this um, thing. Anyway, this is a whole gigantic tangent, but I just found it's something <laughs> I've been thinking about a lot um, in the in the past year. Uh, but to, to finish off on perspective, um, it, it, so I think it's interesting how, um, because it's being told from the reverend's perspective for the most part, part we do have that. Um, the the entire story is, is, of course, colored by that. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine how the story would be different being told by the dumbass, right? Um, yes, about, <laughs> very different. Yeah, if he was just like, yeah, I he, he you know could either justify it and be like, oh, this is actually a brilliant decision I made, and, and you would cover it up. And maybe you could read it through sub- subtext that he's actually being stupid. Or maybe he would just admit, oh, yeah, I got them mixed up. And then ridiculously, miraculously, uh, everything turned out great. And it was very lucky. And he, you know, it would be colored a different way. Well, in this one, yeah. it's it's colored by the reference just like sh- shock and awe and just being disturbed by the amount of luck that this character has and knowing that it's going to fall apart any second. And yeah. then it doesn't. And that's a different kind of release of tension. So, like, when you were reading it, because, you know, this is something that I picked up on, but I wasn't sure if it was just me. But uh, when the Reverend is going through the story, uh, did you get any hint of jealousy coming from Mm. it? I think a little bit, a little bit. But more, it was, for me, it was, like, a sense of responsibility of, like, I've raised this person up. And now yes. everything's going to go wrong because of me. It's like, Reverend, you could have just told someone, but whatever. Yeah, or or he could have been honest with them in the beginning. Because, yeah. I mean, it, like, so apparently it was very obvious that he wasn't smart. Uh, so I, I think it was, quote unquote, the, like, right choice for the Reverend to, like, help him him out. But... But him being surprised that that he did so so good almost kind of steps on him helping him out in the first place to where he did it without actually having any faith in him as a person. Um, and then, you know, as uh, they all kind of grow up, I I kind of feel that it's because because I know that the Reverend was on his squad. Right. Yeah. And uh, then he like kept talking about how this main character kept falling upward, falling upward, falling upward. People were dying. And and it basically created this perfect situation to where he was captain. And within those moments, I almost got a sense of, I guess, j- j- jealousy from him 
to where he isn't personally falling up. And it seems that that is something that he would have wanted to to do or, or at least r- risen through the uh, ranks. Uh, and I think honestly, for uh, for him to be talking bad about this this person at his own party, kind of at least for me, uh, instills a sense of that jealousy. Yeah, could be. Yeah, you know. But then again, you know, there are definitely multiple readings of of this that you know there are different messages that you could take out of it, which I don't know. I would really be interested in seeing what Mark Twain's intentions for this story was because you know his his stories are famous for having multiple messages and 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 multiple ways that you can possibly take it so right yeah um okay i think that is what we have for uh to talk about luck is actually more than i thought we would talk about it (laughs) um yeah a lot uh, more yeah 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 so let's get into the reader submitted stories all right. Well, we're going to roll on into the listener submitted stories section. As you know, we are going to spoil all of the stories we are going to be talking about. So if you haven't read them, pause after we announce them, go read them, and then come back so we can talk about them with you. All right. So the stories we are going to be reading from this week are by Mibin15, Kamikaze Tomato, Ghost Pac-Man 4, Haunt of the Heron, and No Goodbye. And alright, we will start with Kamikaze Tomato with The Barrel Most Rotten. So this is an interesting story. So um, the the story talks about uh, this place called The Barrel, which is a mm-hmm. sort of... Um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure how, how, to, how to phrase it, but like uh, a a sort of underground city where all mm-hmm. the worst beings of the world get get trapped in or go placed inside. So uh, this um, story is being told by this one person who's almost uh, telling a counter narrative about the barrel, where the story normally um, in the the above world. Um, is uh, that this is a place where all of the the worst of the world were were placed after um, the the these horrible people uh, seduced and um, seduced and, and and stole away the good lady mouse, which was this um, paragon of of virtue, um, a, a holy maiden or something like that. But mm-hmm. apparently that uh she came almost like a she she came more willingly and that she is now their princess and that the people of the barrel well they certainly are scummy uh that was not a scummy thing it was just something that the the other world sort of punished them um mm-hmm. for um and so in, in that story it's a it's a punishment that they get put in the barrel but in this story it's just like that's just the way that the story went and um that they will um that that they will continue sort of in their duty and take the worst of the the overworld i don't know if it's an actual overworld but the the other world the the non-barrel world and uh make them their own and sort of um I mean, I, I think it's sort of implied that the barrel is still a pretty b- bad place, but not, mm-hmm. like, inherently so. Yeah, definitely. 
But uh, yeah, I really like this this story. I think the prose work very well to kind of uh, solidify that mythic storytelling style that uh, they are going for. Uh, and I really do like how the story itself is giving you such a broad overview of the of the world, really helping you get set into this very strange tale that uh, is being told. Uh, and I do like the twist of um, this barrel not being as horrible and rotten as uh, people do make it out to be and uh, that the uh, princess uh, was going willingly instead of being uh, taken. Uh, and it does really kind of hearken to me back to the idea that uh, history is definitely made by the victor and, and how the truth of of things isn't always the one that you're being told you know um so yeah overall i just i just really like this story i think it's written very well uh and it is very uh concise in uh its form and i think it's really great so great job yeah yeah i really enjoyed the sort of um the 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 characterized perspective the fact that this storyteller clearly does have like a stake in the story mm -hmm. and um has a reason for telling it in this way. I, I think that's an interesting and, and um, good addition. And I, I think that's a, also a good um, example of, of using first-person perspective. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We're all right. Up next is By No Goodbye with Mother. So uh, this is also a very interesting story. So it, I, I, I'm actually going to go and talk about... Um, something that they, they left in the comment because I think it's really good for, for framing this mm -hmm. is uh, so No Goodbye talks about how there's this Indonesian legend from West uh, Sumatra called Malin Kundang uh, which is about a kid from a poor family who goes away and gets rich and then eventually encounters his mother again um, but because she's poor he kind of looks down on her and um, yeah, she uh, curses her or, or he, he gets cursed anyway and uh, turns to stone right as sort of a message of like hey respect your parents even if you know you grow apart right so no goodbye sort of uh, re rewriting the story I, it's interesting re rewriting it not in a more like a a better and more positive sense but sort of like rewriting it in the sense that it is being retold now which i think is very interesting mm -hmm. where yeah. so this is all um it's an entirely dialogue story it's a one half of a conversation being told this mother ranting at her child who has grown up different um and i think there's an implication that um has has um now identifies um as a a, a woman and the um, mother is still like calling her her um, her son rather instead just to really be very clear that she does not respect that and um, sort of blaming her uh, her son for, or uh, blaming her her kid for um, blaming her kid's uh, partner for sort of stealing them away. And this whole thing is is just a very long rant uh, about, you know, any any really, you know, terrible conservative parent uh, saying how disappointed they are and asking, like, why, uh, what, how do they fail them and a bunch of other really horrible things. And then finally, the, um, 
her child uh, also turns to stone. And the thing is that that doesn't even do enough to turn back her sensibilities. And she still uh, says that this is like um, their fault um, mm-hmm. and how they did this to themselves. And that it, it, it ends on this note of even though um, you you can hear me, and even though you're, you're frozen, you're still trying to defy me. And for that, I, I sort of hate you. Yeah. It's pretty horrible. Yeah, yeah it, uh, it is a horrible story. It's, it's, it's very heavy, but I think it is very effective in, in how much it is obvious, the mother's hatred, and how and how palpable it, it really is. I mean, throughout, it seems that the mother is hitting on every single last, every single last aspect of their um, child's life and how much dis- disdain she is looking at them through. Uh, and I think that the way that that is written through through purely dialogue definitely helps to this, to where we don't really know where all all of these lines are are coming from. We don't know the the situation, but that allows us as as readers just to kind of fill in the uh, blanks and um, puts us in a very odd situation because it almost feels like they are that that this mother is talking to us right um so yeah it's it's really great and it's heavily heavily care heavily characterized which i really do like um and yeah i just i would love to go back and read the um myth that this is based on to kind of do a comparison but i do think that you know this is a really great update to to that myth and i don't know i think it's really well written and fantastic yeah so no goodbye talks about how this story is often uh, used as you know just a, a cultural shorthand for um conservative parents uh use it to tell the kids that they shouldn't grow up different because they should always respect their their elders and growing up different is sort of an attack on them. And I think this is a really, really well done and, and, and well, well-purposed take mm-hmm. uh, to sort of re-draw um, the story. The one thing I think is that um, without knowing the story, it's a little unclear on what um, happens, right? Uh, but with with that added information, it gets a lot easier. So I would just want to add something in there of just being clear that like um, the 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 child is being turned to stone, um, or I don't know some other sort of framing, just a signal to us going into it that this is what's going to happen. Yeah, it, that definitely. it's it's tragic for that. I really like how how. Uh, self-righteous the the mother feels even though she's clearly like done something horrible and does not regret it at all but she's just so it 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 vibes really hard with how some conservative parents are where they hurt their child and then they feel they continue to feel vindictive about it and as if that was the the right thing to do they feel that they are the victim even though they've they've hurt the person far more than they were ever hurt themselves Mm -hmm. i think it's it's yeah it's really well done yeah, and uh, honestly, I think this is a really great, uh, I guess, update or take on this myth, which, you know, was, of course, the whole purpose of this uh, challenge that we did send out. So very great job. Uh, no goodbye. And uh, up next is by MeBin15 with Roland and Magnus. So this is a... a- um, wonderful, wonderful uh, 
take on another myth, and let's see if y'all can put it together if you haven't already read it. So um, Roland is inside of a labyrinth. He's a labyrinth walker, and uh, he's he's a um, is he a rat or a mouse? Yes, he's a rat. Yes, he's a wise rat. So Roland, the wise wise rat, uh, has always lived inside this labyrinth, and and um, he's with some other labyrinth walkers, and every night. Um, they they are basically locked in, and during the day they have to walk through this labyrinth and, and do different things, right? And uh, Roland has learned from his father, and he's uh, sort of has this has this divine quest to exit the labyrinth one day. Not necessarily divine, divine, but that's that's the the feeling it has, the mythic feeling of like it's his destiny. And um, eventually, after a lot of research, has discovered a way out. And he goes and talks to his friend Magnus, who is a mouse. And uh, they're going to get free of the labyrinth. And he tells this plan, and they make the plan to go out. And so that night, they they sneak out. And um, uh, Magnus is uh, a, a wonderful little little sidekick and sort of hyping him on, right? But we clearly we see that he's a little too excited, right? And he's a little naive. Uh, but they they sneak out, uh, they get through a bunch of the different trials until this very last trial where they have to get into what's implied to be hamster balls, which I, I found very interesting. So they get inside the <laughs> hamster balls and they're going down this long path where the the walls are heated, and we're not entirely sure why, but that that is the that that's the situation that they're in, and uh, they have to make sure not to get too close to either of the walls because the the hamster balls might melt and then they get stuck and then who knows what would happen. Um, but they start escaping, and Magnus is is enjoying it too much. He's he's bouncing back and forth off the walls. He's having a great time, and he's just like, "Why don't you bounce with me? This is a genius invention that you've done." And Roland um, can't get him to stop, and uh, then it's too late. Magnus, uh, his ball melts and sticks to a wall, and Roland continues to roll on, escaping, but he can't he can't save his friend who was uh, was overcome with with hubris. <laughs> and uh, he escapes, and uh, he vows to go back and and save the the other mice that are that are still there, even though Magnus is, it's too late for him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this is a really well constructed story. Uh, when I think of myth, I definitely do think of something like this. I mean, it's so ripe in the world that it, that it is building. And um, we do follow these two very sympathetic characters where we, we can see our ourselves, uh, in a sense, being both of them. Uh, and yeah, I just really like how this story is unfolding. It has a it has a really good pace uh, while while also not being te- while also not being terrible, while also not being terribly long. Um, and I think the message it itself is is very clear here and i think that is just a uh, testament as to um how much they did take from the myth um that they were basing this off of so yeah, overall i just really like it i think the that i think that the dialogue is well was well characterized uh and i think overall this is definitely one that i would recommend people go and read it's really great yeah i thought this was a wonderful little um a, a rewriting of the Icarus myth. I thought this was mm-hmm. well translated, where um, it's a mouse instead of his son. But there's the the, the important elements are still there, right? That the fact that it's um, that the 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 wiser one was just not enough to control the younger one, and the younger one was just uh, that that they did have a bond. So there's still that that feeling of loss there. 
and the the younger one Magnus in this one was just uh, not not taking things seriously enough. Um, obviously, there is this, a small suffering and just the fact that it's a little bit more silly, right? Rather than, um, I mean, at the same time, Icarus in the original myth also was not um, didn't die for a very like logical like thought out reason. He was just enjoying himself yeah. too much. He was just flying too high and flying too low, rather than. Um, being focused right right and magnus was just enjoying the the escape too much so i i think it still works very well um even if it is a, a bit more on the the humor side i mean it, it's also a horrible way to die so <laughs> that that still makes it serious to me the magnus basically gets slow roasted at least that's the implication oh, to me that's horrible jeez inside a melting plastic ball <laughs> what a way to go uh but thank you very much for your story uh, me been 15 and up next is haunt of the heron with portent so um in this one this is a a multi um sectioned i guess narrative um yeah. we have this this character uh yusai um which i think Honda the heron said how it's pronounced in the channel but i can't find it right now so i really apologize for not saying the proper pronunciation for your character but um we have our, our main character who's sort of playing around with yusai in their their tribe but their um their father here is uh about to sort of say a sort of sermon and they're all sort of here at this this sort of ritual where um our main character finds this boring and it doesn't really relate to what's going on and, and it kind of seems embarrassed by the like wealth of their their father mm-hmm. but uh then the story breaks into a creation myth where it um it follows the like uh, ideas of like genesis um more or less i mean it, it follows a lot of creation myths where originally there was chaos and then there was earth and then there was water and then there was sky um and then there was animals and um some of the animals uh, needed um, deserved breath and uh, humanity eventually got fire and that's what made us different. So I, I like how that all echoes um, so many creation myths and you can kind of see it belonging in almost any uh, culture around the world. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards we, we break back into that original scene um, where um, the, the father finish, finishes this, this sermon and he almost seems like nervous at this point point. Um, Maybe he's uh, drunk or something like that, uh, which I find interesting. And um, uh, we we just get some another connection back to our characters, uh, who is still a little bit bored and and looking at Yusai to um, <laughs> find a reason to be responsible. Um, but uh, she's lost in thought, and so we kind of see that she is she's thinking of that myth herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I think this is a really well constructed story. I mean, uh, as you said, it does echo a lot of those uh, creation tales, right? Uh, and I really do like how closely it does stick to a, a lot of those things while also kind of providing its own context and a twist on it. Uh, and I really, really love the uh, prose here, how... How the, how the world was, was born in a chaos and how it's talking about the the form that uh, it is taking on and uh, how these animals do need breath and then all of these other things. And it really does make you feel like you are watching creation as it is happening. And I think that is definitely the crowning achievement of this story is that it's 
taking you along this this journey hand in in hand to where I am never lost when I when I read it because I because I already expect where this story is going and I'm pleased when when we do get there. So um, overall, really great job, and I really loved reading this one. Yeah, yeah, um, I really like the that that creation myth in the middle, and I think that the character connections make it a little bit more interesting. There's a mm-hmm. little bit of I, I think there could have been a little bit more with the the character stuff where. Um, I definitely did get like some use out of it, but for the most part, they felt not necessarily disconnected, but definitely a little bit distant. Yeah. And I feel that the creation myth could have had a little bit more resonance with our, um, or it made it a little bit clearer, like what Yosai is feeling seeing this myth and why it's significant yeah. to her. Which I mean, really, I think maybe that that could be due to the time limit. Oh yeah, of course. But uh, definitely, if if you do have have more time, uh, I would recommend uh definitely tying in the great character bits to the uh middle bit where we're just walking through uh creation and showing how those two do connect and at the same time this is a prequel so it could be that a lot of this comes up in that uh next bit but at the same time it 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 could have been echoed in this one as well i think but i really enjoyed it so it's good yeah yeah so, a uh, really great job, Haunt of the Heron. And uh, up next in our last story for this week is by Ghost Pac-Man 4 with Goldmine. So, uh, this is not quite a myth, but it does have some connection to myth. Uh, mm-hmm. We have our main character, Mary, who is running away from a bunch of guards with spears. And uh, are, are you good? Yeah, that was the running sound effect. Um. Yeah, it was really realistic, and it, it didn't. I didn't like it. <laughs> so uh, she's been injured a bunch of times, and she's just trying to escape. She's a, a bleeding, ragged child, um, and it's very unfortunate, right? And um, Lord Asher is the one chasing her. He's he's some uh, devious and and um, just a dick of a of a lord, right? And um, his advisor, Larrick, is there too, and. Uh, he reveals that the reason that they're chasing her is because um, he wants to see uh, this uh, divine trinket appear because she is one of one of the hobbled gods, so obviously some not very powerful gods, favored, and uh, to be saved, a magical item is likely to appear. And lo and behold, it happens. A um, carriage overturns and outspills a rotten sword. Not rusting, but rotten, which is uh, very mm. evocative or clearly it's kind of disgusting, right? But the, yeah. the handle is clean and she picks it up and just slaughters all of the guards nearby to her. Um, just, just without any effort. And she it's almost like puppeted. She, she's not even in control herself. It just automatically just kills them. And um, then as she's escaping, the blade uh, swings out and kills a, a mouse that was just like next to her. And it's really quite horrifying. It's a very visceral sort of violence. Yeah. Um, and uh, Lord Asher and the others uh, slowly chase her from a distance because it looks like the blade kills any living thing nearby, um, no matter if the wielder wants it. And um, when she throws away the sword because she doesn't want to kill everyone, they're going to... Uh, get the sword and then and then kill her. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a, I, I really like this. This was very. Um, it, it's very interesting how quickly we were able to understand the nature of this of this world. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, I really do like how it seems like they are creating their own sort of myth. Uh, you know, it's this story is definitely ripe in that world building. But yeah, uh, as you said, I do like how even though we are being introduced into very new concepts, uh, th- just the way that the story is written allows us to connect to those concepts very quickly. Um, and you know, this is done through action, which is really, which is really good. Uh, instead of them telling us through a whole bunch of paragraphs what this sword does, we just see what it does. And then we just, we instantly connect to the power of this weapon. But yeah, overall, I think the crowning, uh, like, I think the thing that really resonates with, with me when I do read this story I really like the tension that is being built within this this story. I mean, the main character starts off being chased, and then there is this really great, really well-described action scene, and then we're back to the chase. It uh, seems like this this story is is never stopping, and it, and it never really slows down that much, which I like. I mean, that tension is being carried throughout the, the whole story really, really well, to where I'm very interested in seeing where these characters go from here so really great job mm-hmm. um yeah i i really liked it and, and so one thing is that i can already like picture you know some of the irony and, and some of the, the terrible things that might happen as a result of this um of just like you know maybe maybe the thing that turns it around is that a, a cornered rat bites right maybe the the mouse character turns around and charges at asher that that kills all of them or maybe this is like more of a more of a prologue sort of situation but mm-hmm. regardless this is a short story and we only see a snapshot of it and so um we get to just imagine what that would be yeah definitely but fantastic job well all right that is all of other stories we are going to be talking about this week we wish we can get to all of them but there's just not enough seconds in a day but that's right. If we had about like maybe fifteen more, we would be yeah. fine. But since well, there's only so many, yeah, there's only so many. So you yeah. Know. But we do want to give a big old do the right thing shout out to all of those who did submit a story. So thank you very much to Kamikaze Tomato. Thank you to Sarah Penguin. Thank you, Jarby Jazz. Thank you, No Goodbye. Thank you, Me Ben Fifteen. Thank you, Yeti Mancer Quest. Thank you, Haunt of the Heron. And thank you to Ghost Pac-Man 4. Mm-hmm. And, and we also want to say thank you to everyone who did leave a comment. Leaving a comment not only helps you understand what you did right and wrong within your own story and uh, give the people that, that are going to be reading it your own take on it, but also you are providing someone else with crucial feedback that can only make them and yourself better at writing. So thank you very much to Haunt of the Heron, Mebin15, Sarah Penguin, Kamikaze Tomato, and Ace of Sword. Thank you so much for leaving comments. Y'all are fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to Do the Right Thing, you can do that by going to slash r slash do the right thing. All you have to do is sit down for for 30 minutes, use three of four words for that week, and write a complete short story. That's right. And uh, also, so so one thing I, little, I, I messed up, Jarvis, and, we, and I got to fix this, okay, um, is uh, so our challenge for this week, right, is is uh, using first person and exploring that and, and things you can do with that. I did 
accidentally, and I guess I probably have to delete it and repost it, um, put the challenge for the week after, which will be dramatic irony, because... Mm, dang. Right? Did you see what I... How I messed up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I completely get it. Because yeah. the way we do this is a little, is a little mix up. Because the story we'll be reading next week is is focused around dramatic irony. But what we want you to be writing, because it's based first off the story person, we read yeah. this week, is first person. So yeah, uh, but you I do know, I, I mean, that, but it's fine. I mean, this is a very new format for yes, us. We, we've only yes. been doing this for two weeks. A week. So a week. Yeah, a a week. So. uh thankfully we are getting our first mess up in early <laughs> yeah that's right so so i'll be fixing that as soon as we end recording here um but right so if you want to see the words uh immediately as soon as they come out the best place to do that is by following us on twitter which is at right thing cast and if you don't have a reddit account or you just want to send us an email and say what's up you can send us an email at right at gmail.com additionally just one other thing that we we should start plugging is uh follow the doof media twitter if you don't already because that is just our general uh, catch all Twitter where you post things just going around in the network and there's all sorts of wonderful things going on that's where you would um, see the announcements for uh, the book club and the game club as soon as those come out and uh, so, so you know even if you don't plan to uh, be there on the day you know maybe you see an announcement you see it pop up and then you're like oh uh, maybe i'll just put that on in the background or, or just check that out real quick and then you get to participate in these live streams that we do Definitely, definitely. And if you want to support us and everyone else in Doof Media, you can do that by donating to the Doof Media Patreon. All you have to do is donate a dollar or more per month, and you and you will get access to, to the Doof Media Discord, where we will talk about all things podcast. That's right. Uh, I know we've had some really cool discussions there, and I just realized, oh my gosh, we have to archive the Decomposing Worm channel sometime soon and, and mm. also on the website we gotta transfer over decomposing worm from ongoing podcasts to old podcasts isn't that tragic uh, but yes. uh we'll, we'll be back we'll be change back. of times yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so clarence is, is not participating in the he's, he's not producing audio content on the network right now that's so sad we gotta oh. we gotta sign up soon I feel yeah. bad about that oh <laughs> also if y'all know any good artists uh we we need a good logo artist and we don't we don't have one. So if you want to send us an email at writethinkcast@gmail.com with a with a logo artist in the next couple of weeks, uh, we would really really appreciate that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, there's there's always there's also plenty of other great rewards on the network. At the forty dollar level, you get to actually commission an episode of the Doofcast to be on the TV show. So um, if you ever were like, oh wow, we really want people to see this, uh, go ahead and and donate at that level, and then go ahead and at me or Jarvis if you want us to watch an anime, we can do that for you. Just just oh, most definitely let us know because um, <laughs> you can specifically request for people to be on that. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Doof Media. What's going on in it, Matthias? So uh, the thing I want to plug this this month, uh, although I know I plug it very often, is uh, the Doof Media Game Club, which it will be going on uh, during Halloween, actually, 9.30 p.m. Ooh. on October 31st, uh, Central Standard Time, that is. Uh, obviously, that, that uh, differs. Uh, if you're in Australia, that's about noon. Um, and that's relevant because it's uh, hosted by our two Aussies, um, Elliot and Ruben, who are... Uh, this month, talking about Dark Souls, um, which is a really, really good game. And, Fantastic um, game. One of I my finished favorites. it just a bit ago, mm-hmm. uh, just about a month ago. I'm I'm very sad because uh, I'm not getting another Switch until the end of the month. Um, I'm, I'm Switchless right now, but when I get it, uh, which will probably only be a couple days before the uh, the game club comes out, or maybe even on, on the day, um, I'm going to be playing Dark Souls as well, and I'm going to be doing a dex build this time, mm, which I'm very excited choice. about. 
Um, but this, really, yeah, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Even though you should be doing a magic build, but that's just uh, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't though, because mm. it's just not fun. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but that's the point. It's it's, it's so just hard, not fun. and it magic is not built for the game so much that it is hilarious to do a pure magic build I, that's i'm just, just not i'm not gonna do it i'm just yeah. i'm just not going it to takes, do it, it it takes way too much time way too much time but uh yeah i won't be doing a strength build this time because i just got the black knight great sword or just black knight sword i didn't even use the great sword and i used nothing else for the entire game <laughs> that's all you need <laughs> well like i got it pretty early on too it was like the the third like big boss item that i got or whatever oh and really? and yeah because i got it off of the first black knight i killed oh wow that yeah was a yeah drop. <laughs> yeah yeah i think so and then uh, I, I couldn't use it for a little bit but then once i did it there was nothing else that came close i i had some other heavy weapons i used um uh, the the dragon uh great sword was actually really mm-hmm. good but it's it was just like too heavy and slow that did, for the most any like any time you, I, you know the uh the a big tooth I did. It was okay. Yeah. It was fine. I just uh, like it because it's uh like it absorbs everything, it, so it's it, so it's also yeah. like a really good shield, but Yeah, see, see the other thing though is that like because I so I had the Black Knight sword and then I upgraded it all the way and then nothing else came close to the damage because mm-hmm. nothing else was upgraded all the way. So like if I wanted to use anything else you have and to not have it that just all the way. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise it would be a downgrade for a while and then it's like what's the point? So mm-hmm. But it's a good game. It's a good game. Great so. game. A lot of variety. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so that's that's one one thing going on in Doof Media. Of course, there's so many other wonderful podcasts on the network that you should check out if you haven't already. Definitely, definitely. Well, all right, let's go ahead and not only announce next week's words, but announce what story we are going to be reading next week. Uh, that's right. So next week we will be reading... Um, a story by Anton Chekhov, uh, mm-hmm. and it is called the the lottery. Um, so w- the, the week after next, we'll be focusing on dramatic irony, which is why we've selected that story. But next week, uh, we would like you to write a story. I guess it, not just about first person. I guess we should say we should uh, say to write a, a story about um, first person minor character, a story about someone else. I think, mm, yes. and and coloring your perspective in in, in that way. Um, if, if you want to try out the challenge, you don't have to. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But no, that would that'd be a, a really great challenge. I mean, it is definitely something that we don't see too often in, in a lot more uh, contemporary writings. So I think it'll be a nice challenge for you, for y'all to at least try out. Um, but next week's words are, can I get a little drum roll? Just like a little tip tap? Uh, tip a tap, tip a tap, 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 tip, tap. <laughs> Well, that was fantastic. <laughs> so, next week's words are button, band. What? No, they're not. Era. What? what? Yeah, they no. are. Well, it's not the ones I posted. Which ones did you post? Update? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, is that the right. wrong words? Yes, it is, but I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Um, yeah, that's for the week after next, but we can just fix it later. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So, next week's words are update. Set, forest, and square. 
Um, so, uh, if you would like me to, to, to start off, I'm going to use that framing narrative, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'm actually here, I'm a, I'm a radio announcer. I'm here, mm. and I'm uh, doing a radio announcer voice, not really, but I, I, you, can, you can just sort of picture, like, sort of uh, underlay my voice with a radio announcer voice from, like, the, from, like, the 50s, right? Got uh, it. With, like, an accent and everything, right? Yeah, so a, update, a transatlantic update here. accent. Yeah, exactly. It's an update here from, from the front lines. Uh, I'm talking to a soldier soldier here in um, the during the Great War. It, this is during the Great War, and the soldier here is talking talking to me and uh, telling me about um, how he was uh, set up by his commander to um, do something totally awesome. Actually, it was not it was not a bad setup. It was a setup. It's a setup for the commander to get himself uh killed and for this guy to be promoted and to be his uh not his fall guy what's it called his his jump guy which is the opposite of a fall guy no no the opposite of scapegoat the opposite of a fall guy a jump guy oh jump jump up yeah a jump man and uh, so it was a setup they were in the the forest and um our jump man who uh, that's not what i'm going to be calling him right here he's telling me he's telling me about how um in when he was in the forest uh there was uh an attack and um uh but then they ran away the whole uh battalion squadron and they ended up in uh this square this really big square uh sort of like an alien thing actually it was actually an alien thing so if that that discovery about aliens that's what that was it was the square that they were in and uh they set up in there and uh, that's when the captain um, did something. Uh, he charged out and sacrificed himself heroically. And Jumpman became the guy. And they shot the bad guys with the laser cannons that they found inside the alien square um, thing. Um, and that is how he became a war hero. And that's the update from the front lines. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that, like aliens were a part of the great world war i thought they were just watching that's that's crazy yeah no um the ancient aliens specifically it's the Mm. same ones that did the pyramids oh okay i see i see i see well uh my story next week is uh actually going to be a uh true it is a true story trust me i know the brother of of the cousin of this main character and i promise you it is a true story he posted about it all over his his, his twitter right but um i think yeah his uh, name was jonathan right and uh jonathan t- likes he does vlogs very very often and he calls the, and he calls them his weekly update where he just talks about life and then all that but this one day, he was out looking for for his cat in a dark, dark wood. Which, you know, it's fine. He lives in a suburb. There's nothing suspicious happening in these woods. But the issue, right, is that he he isn't really that smart of a guy. So so he gets lost very often. It's it's a whole big thing. Needless to us say, the the whole video was was about three hours, right? Uh, and and he was just walking walking through the woods trying to follow any any path. He was walking in squares. He was walking in circles, walking in triangles, just trying to find <laughs> a way out of this forest. Walking in irregular polygons. <laughs> but you see, the issue was that he didn't know the myth 
of this forest. And the myth is, if you go in looking for a cat, your your cat will leave, but you will not. So after doing this for a couple of weeks, I'm talking about his whole YouTube channel is filled with videos of him stuck in this forest. Um, he decided to, you know, create like a little set, you know, he, uh, he found a tent, set that up, made a fire, set that up. And even to this day, no one knows if he ever really made it out of those woods. I mean, he's still uploading, right? So he's still there, but no one's really sure if he has the ability to actually leave this forest. Wow. Yeah. That's... Um, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Happy. Um, yep, that's all I have to say this week on On this episode of of Do Do the Right right Thing. Yay! And then it's Looney Tunes theme. (laughs) That's all, folks. That's exactly what the movie